1 Samuel 17, verses 31 to 51. This is David before King Saul. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your heads, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day, to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Let me hand over to Dave Greenshields, who's going to unpack that for us. Thanks, Ben. Well, before I uh, start to 
think about this passage, uh, let me uh, lead us in, in prayer, in prayer even. So do join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we read these words and hear them read, uh, we know that the war is won. Death is defeated. Christ is victorious. And yet we know too, Lord, that we live a life that includes struggle and suffering, pain, test and challenge. My prayer, Lord, this morning as we think about these words from 1 Samuel is that we hear again your encouragement, your challenge to us to live faithfully for you and to live confident in the victory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen. Well, morning, everybody. It's great to be with you as we uh, pick up these famous words from the Old Testament, potentially one of the most famous narratives uh, in the uh, Old Testament. And it's easy when we hear that story read, maybe to do uh, one of two things. Um, one is to, to switch off. It's a story we know. What, what more can be said about David Goliath? Or to, to think, oh, great, David, what a, the, the plucky underdog, like some kind of sporting fixture where the unexpectedly small nation defeats the great nation, like Hungary defeating England 4-0 earlier this week. But if we do that, if we mistake this story for some kind of sporting fixture, we, we, we misinterpret it, we misunderstand it quite profoundly. Because in the story, we have a rich narrative that actually in the time I have this morning, I can only uh, hope to, to scratch the surface of. And I'd encourage you this week, if you have the time, uh, to go away and to, to read the whole of 1 Samuel 17 again and to look for themes and ideas that repeat throughout the narrative, which I won't be able to touch on this morning. For example, thinking about um, the way that Goliath is portrayed and the links to the serpent, which are there, or thinking about the role of animals in the narrative and the use of animal imagery. There's all this incredibly rich stuff, which I'd missed, I must confess, until this week. And that's one of the privileges of of being invited to come and speak this morning is it forces me to, to stop and to zoom in on a passage and to, to really wrestle with it. So I would uh, encourage you to, to do that this week. And as I said in, in my prayer, one of the, the great uh, wonders of the Christian life is that we know the war is won. This passage is, is more like a prequel with a character we know is going to survive and we're interested to see how he does it, like the current Obi-Wan prequel on Disney+, Plus, which if you're a Star Wars fan, like myself, I heartily recommend. Um, it's more like a prequel where we know the person is, is going to be fine in the end, but we just want to know how they get there, than it is a sporting fixture full of uncertainty and doubt. Because we know the war is won. Jesus Christ defeated death. Jesus Christ reigns victorious at the right hand of the Father. So we as Christians are assured of that victory for eternity. But we also know that we're in a battle, and that's a, a motif that's used to describe the Christian life. So while we have the assurance of the future, we're in the battle now. And in this passage, we can learn from David how to approach that battle in a way that's faithful to the promises of God, but wrestles with the challenges of the lives that we live and so I'm going to look over the course of the next 15 or so minutes, everybody hopes at least, at uh, who was fighting, what they believed, and what happened. So who was fighting, uh, what they believed, and what happened. So let's start with, with who is fighting. The first character we're introduced to in the early verses of 1 Samuel 17 is Goliath. 
And we read about him, if you want to flick back over the page from where the reading was, uh, from verse 4 onwards. He's described as a champion, the champion of the Philistines. One way to translate that word is the man of the in-between. He was the one the Philistines sent and put, them, and put in between them and their enemies. We also read about his sheer scale. Goliath was an absolute monster. He was nine foot nine. So that's like another third as tall as I am. I'm quite a tall fellow. I'm not as tall as my brother, which he delights in reminding me every now and again. But that's another third on top of me, or half of me on top of me. He's an absolute brute. He's huge. And it's easy to forget that because we know that he's going to be defeated in about 50 verses time. But Goliath is a colossal figure, nine foot nine tall, wearing armor that weighed almost 60 kilograms. So we can see at a physical level and at a human level why the presence of this man in between struck fear into the hearts of the Israelites. And we read about that fear, don't we? If you look at verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Goliath comes out day by day and challenges Israel, come and fight me. Come and fight me. Are you not the servants of your king Saul? Come down, fight. If you win, you win the war. If you lose, we win everything. And the Israelites are terrified. And one of the things that's really telling here, we've said who was fighting here, but also what's really telling is, is who isn't. Who's not fighting? Well, Saul. Saul and the Israelite army are not fighting, are they? They are cowering. They're terrified. Saul, who was, when made king, perceived to be a giant among the Israelites, a whole head taller than the rest of the Israelite people, who the Israelites demanded in 1 Samuel 8, we want a king. They went to the prophet and said, we want a king to lead us into battle, where is Saul? Well, he's, he's hiding, hiding with everybody else, terrified of this colossal figure who is demanding everything. And I find it easy, and I don't know if this is true of you, brothers and sisters, to, to stand in judgment over the army at this point. Like, this is the same army who had, been, who had seen God work miraculously for them, time and again, from generation to generation who had seen God do remarkable things on their behalf for them and for their ancestors, and yet they cower in fear. And it's easy to stand in judgment over them. So how could they lose faith? How could they lose faith in a God who'd shown them so much? If I'd seen what they had seen, if I knew what they knew about their forefathers, I'd be much more bold. And yet, we know the war is won. Jesus Christ is victorious. Death has been defeated. And yet, we also know there's been times this week where we've been given opportunity to speak boldly for Jesus, or we've been in a conversation which has turned to accept a presenting issue in our society or culture. It's took a turn for something which we can't agree with in good conscience that goes against what the Bible says about how we should live. We've had the opportunity to be distinctive and to stand for truth, and we haven't. And we need to repent of those. I can think of two or three conversations this week where I need to repent of the moment where I have not stood boldly. Where I was like Saul. I stood back. I didn't go into battle. And so let's not judge Saul too harshly here. Let's not judge Saul uh, as hypocrites. 
Let's acknowledge our own challenge and pray that in the week ahead, we'll go out and we'll meet the challenge we face boldly. So we've seen Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, and we've seen who isn't fighting. And then in verse 12, we meet David again. If you'd been reading 1 Samuel from the beginning, um, you'd have just met David, the chapter previously, um, when he is anointed to be king. All you would know at this point is that he's the youngest son of Jesse, that he gets the rough jobs that the youngest son gets. He's the one who's sent out to the field to care for the sheep rather than doing the privileged tasks nearer to the household. But you'd also know that God had identified him to be his new king. He'd been anointed and that the spirit of God had rushed upon him in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We know that as the reader, we have that, that bird's eye view. We're told that by the narrator in 1 Samuel. But the people at the battlefield don't know that, which is pretty clear from the way David's oldest brother reacts to him when they meet. But here's David and he arrives. And in verse 25, we read, as David asks the question, what's going on? And the men of Israel said to David, have you seen this man come up? He's come to defy Israel, and the king will enrich any man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. The next verses, so verses 26 and 27, are the first words we hear from David in the entire of the biblical narrative. This is what David says. What shall be done? For the man who kills the Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. David sees the situation differently from everybody else. What he says is really important because it betrays to to his listeners and to us, the reader, what's really going on. Having not heard from him yet, he inserts God into the scene. The Israelite armies, Saul and Goliath, were God-less in this narrative up to this point. Israelite armies are confronted by this vast figure and they tremble in fear because they can't see anything but the physical threat. Saul, in his leadership, cannot remember the promises of God. And in fact, we're told in chapters earlier that the Spirit of the Lord departed Saul. But we're also, as I've already said, in 1 Samuel 16, we're told that the Spirit of the Lord had rushed upon David at his anointing. David sees everything completely differently. David sees this situation from the perspective that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has blessed him with. He sees the reality of the challenge. This doesn't diminish the scale of Goliath. He doesn't see a smaller person in front of him. He sees the giant, but he sees, too, the fundamental reality that was a man standing, defiling God's people and God's nation, and who needed to be confronted with the truth of who God was and God's promises to his covenant people. The Holy Spirit transforms the way we see the world. The Holy Spirit has the power to transform the way in which we see and we address the challenges of our lives. So when we're faced with substantial challenge in the present day, whether that's a physical challenge concerning health, whether that's a spiritual challenge, perhaps a season of of spiritual dryness where, where God feels distant, no matter how hard we pray, no matter what we do, we feel that we're not 
hearing from him, whether it's a season of dryness spiritually, whether it's doubt, whether it's providing for yourself, for your family, we are blessed, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us to see things differently. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He makes us more like Jesus and helps us to see the world through, through his eyes. He helps us to take an eternal perspective. And with that perspective, we can share the words that Paul said earlier, can't we, from Romans 8. We can see ourselves as being more than conquerors, not in our own power, but through him who loved us. There are amazing verses, aren't there, those, those verses in Romans 8. Paul goes on and he says this, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Only the Spirit can make those words a reality in our hearts in those times of challenge. And so if you're in the midst of that, time, that season, please do be, be crying out to God, crying out to the Spirit to help. And sharing that with a Christian brother or sister who can pray with you and on your behalf. So we've seen at who is fighting, David and Goliath, and who isn't fighting, Saul and the Israelite armies. And now the, the narrative moves on and it helps us to see what they believe. We see David, this spirit-filled son of Jesse, confronted by the idolatrous Goliath. And the narrative shifts to, to unpick what they think about what's really going on here. And firstly, we have David meeting the king. And verses uh, 31 to 40 that, that Ben read for us a moment ago describe this remarkable encounter between the boy and the king. And in this encounter, David says this to Saul. This is verses 36 and 37, if you're following in front of you. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of the Philistine. David is, is demonstrating here both his, his credentials. I fought lions and bears, which is pretty impressive. Like, let's not diminish that. I don't think I would ever do particularly well in that kind of conflict. But much more fundamentally, verse 37 is the first mention of the Lord, capitalized in our translation, Yahweh, the personal name of God. What does David say? He says that Yahweh, God delivered me in these situations, and Yahweh will deliver me now. He has a living, personal relationship with God that gives him confidence. He, he's harking back to those covenant promises that God had made his people and his ancestors through generation to generation about their role and their place to be a light to the nations, to be a people faithful to God, a people who worship no God but him. And he's saying, that, that God is my God. And there's a personal relationship here which gives him confidence to stand and say, the Lord who delivered me will deliver me again. And it's interesting, some, some of the commentators say here, this is like David's gospel to Saul, this is good news to Saul. Yahweh will deliver us. And then we see Saul's response. Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. Saul's perspective is transformed 
by his interaction with David's spirit-filled confidence in his personal relationship with God. So we think back a moment ago to if you're encouraging a Christian brother or sister who is struggling right now with whatever it may be, don't underestimate the power of a faithful confidence in the truth of the goodness of God. The truth in the goodness of God, in the truth, the confidence in the, the victory of Jesus. David says, Yahweh will deliver me. Saul says, go, and God, Yahweh be with you. And David then receives the armor that he then rejects. David's spirit-filled perspective shifts what he says, and it shifts his actions. It changes what he does. He builds on the rock of the confidence he has in who God is, and we're challenged to do the same. But what about Goliath? What, what does he believe? When you jump forward to verse 43, we're told a little bit, or, or a little bit of what he thinks and believes is revealed. When David approaches the battlefield, he's confronted by Goliath, whose shield was so big he couldn't carry it himself. It's carried by a shield bearer. David approaches, dressed only in his normal workaday clothes, with his sling and a small pouch full of stones. Goliath comes, nine foot nine, resplendent in his bronze armor, and sees the boy. And he says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, that should have been a warning sign to the Philistines. The Philistines' god at this point, Dagon, um, the idol of Dagon had uh, fallen, crushed before the Ark of the Covenant. Earlier in the book, in 1 Samuel 5 and 6, when the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant and take it back to their camp, it stays overnight in a tent with the gods, little g, if you like, of the Philistines. And when they awake the next morning, the idol is dashed on the floor. The Philistine gods are defeated before the people and humiliated. And a great victory is won that day by the Israelites. And yet here, Goliath shows a very short memory. He is confident in himself and in false idolatry. He goes on to say, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Goliath is completely confident, wholeheartedly confident in his own ability to end David's life. And how does David respond? If you look to verse 45, David speaks again, and he says this, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And then he continues, the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David is passionate, not just in his own faith and the faith and personal relationship he has about God, but also for the name of God, for the defense of God's name. Goliath's very presence had defiled the land and the armies. His, his very presence that inspired such fear had, had led his armies cowering before him, an act of unfaithfulness on their part. And David's zeal to defend God's reputation and glory demonstrate the real focal point, if you like, of this section of the passage. It's not David, this remarkably brave boy. That's not what's really going on here. It's the saving power of God. That's what's really about to be seen. God remarkably delivering his people through his anointed one, David. 
And that's a challenge, isn't it, to us in terms of what we are passionate about in our defense at the moment. In this current context, there's so much to campaign for. Justice for the people of Ukraine. Social justice for those in our society who have little or no voice at a time of unbelievable challenge in relation to the cost of living. Justice in terms of the quality of our leaders and leadership and, and championing nobility and integrity, goodness and compassion above all. But first and foremost in the public square, we've got to be passionate for the name of God, for his goodness and his glory, for the truth of who he is and how that is a life-shaping and world-altering truth and how a life lived well is a life lived accordance with his word. And so we should be proactive in our desire to, to, to share that with those in power, our local MP, for example, or the council, but also praying for those organizations who devote their work to defending God's name in the public square. Colleagues who work for places like the Christian Institute, they need our prayers and our support. We have a personal challenge, but also a corporate challenge as a people, don't we, to defend, to defend God's name in a godless world. And so let's be mindful of how God's name is used and demonstrate wisdom in how we work to draw people to see him as he really is. Well, I think we all know what happens next. Goliath approaches David. David takes the stone. I'm not going to try and simulate what that would have looked like. You'll be relieved to hear. I might fall over and do myself some damage. He takes the stone in his sling, slings it, and it strikes Goliath in the head, and he falls. David takes Goliath's sword and beheads him. It's a brutal scene in many ways, but it's a repetition of what Goliath had threatened to do to the people, and it is done to him. It is justice for Goliath, and the Philistine armies flee, pursued by the Israelites. The scene is really brief, and it's interesting to note when you look back to the passage that the author of 1 Samuel gives almost, if not slightly more than twice as much time in the story to what David says, to what David does. It tells us something about what they're prioritizing, doesn't it? What David says about God and who God is is far more important then than what he does. Israel needed David. They needed an anointed one, a Messiah, a king, to come and to tell them good news, good news of God and God's faithfulness and how God would deliver them. And his words and his actions proclaimed that good news to the people. They demonstrated the faithfulness of God to them. But we know that while David was a Messiah, an anointed one, he's not the Messiah, the Christ, the Messiah, the, the gospel that he shares is only in part, and that we have the privilege of the whole story of the Bible. We know that David won this battle, but later would make terrible mistakes in his life, both as a leader and as a man, and that he was as flawed and sinful as we are, and in need of grace and restoration. But we also know, because we have the great blessing of the New Testament and the Spirit work in our hearts, we know the gospel of Jesus Christ. One commentator writing about this passage puts it like this. The gospel of Jesus, just like the gospel of David, addresses the real need with the only solution. But unlike the gospel of David, the gospel of Jesus is God's eternal solution to our eternal need. And so as we come to, to finish um, this morning, let's not forget what a wonderful gift it is that we live this side of Jesus' incarnation, knowing all that Jesus did and all that Jesus said, knowing of Jesus' death on the cross in our place, knowing Jesus' resurrection, his defeat of death, 
David's hope was, wasn't that he could be the greatest warrior in Israel. His hope was in the faithfulness of God. Our hope is not in our ability to perfectly follow Jesus, but that we have a faithful one and a savior who blesses us with grace and that we are made faithful in him. We are righteous because of him. We have his righteousness and not our own. And we need that because the war is won, but we are in the battle. And it's my prayer this week that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will mindfully seek to fight that fight, to fight the good fight, to tell others about the great truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, to be passionate in the defense of the name of God, to to rush out like the armies of Israel rushing down the side of the valley to pursue the Philistines, to rush out and tell others of Jesus. And this final song that we're going to sing together gives us that opportunity. It's a chance to stand and to sing together, O Church, Arise, and to encourage one another, to stir one another to that task. So, when these guys are ready, we'll stand and sing.